if I'm on or not, but oh well. If you're watching on the uh, live stream, is it on now? Good morning. Um, I'll say Merry Christmas to all of you guys, and um, next Sunday is Christmas Day, and I hope that you're all here. It'll be great to have everybody here uh, next Sunday. I know we have our traditions, but um, it, I think it's important, wow, when we can celebrate uh, the birth of our Savior on Christmas Day as we celebrate, that'd be great. And so next Sunday morning, we'll have a service at uh, 1030. We will be celebrating the Lord's Supper together uh, that morning and uh, as well doing some other things. And I just trust you'll be able to just carve an hour aside. We'll try to keep that from 1030 to 1130. Uh, there's always grace, but I will not keep you late. Um, but I, I hope we can all celebrate uh, together uh, next Sunday. And for those of you who are visiting with us this morning, we're thrilled that you're here. I wanted to make mention of a, a visitor's luncheon we will have on January the 22nd. So if you've been visiting Grace and you would like to know more about uh, who we are, um, we'd love for you to come. That will be immediately following the service on the 22nd of January. All right? Okay, well, this morning I want to read from the Gospel of John and the first chapter as we get started. Uh, a lot of times when we think about um, the birth of our Lord, we think about Matthew and we think about Luke. And uh, I think it's important as well to think about the Gospel of John. And so I want you to stand as I read verses 1 through 14. And you will see uh, Christmas even here in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about that light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And here it is. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And today... Just like every day, we have the privilege to celebrate that one 
who is Jesus Christ the Lord. And I hope that everyone that's here this morning knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Um, it'll be a great time of year to get saved. And so if you're not a born-again believer, and you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I think all of us who are in Christ ought to pray this morning, right now, even silently, that the Lord would save someone today through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God and through the testimonies as we hear through song this morning. So let's bow and let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the most wonderful gift that has ever been given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. As I was doing some reading this last week, just reading through your word, over and over and over, I was reminded of the blessing that it is to be in Christ. Of all the many blessings that we have if we belong to the Lord Jesus. We are so wealthy. It's really past finding out in a lot of ways. It's still a mystery for us that we will see you face to face in all your glory, but we will. In fact, every person, it tells us in your word, will see the Lord Jesus some will remain with the Lord forever and there will be many that will not be in the presence of the Lord Jesus for an eternity. And so if we are here today in this place standing right now or sitting and we belong to you, help us to understand how blessed we are and help us to be more concerned than we are for those that don't belong to you. Because what is on the line is eternity. And so I just pray that this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ would be honored through song and through the word as we consider what you have said to us. And all these things, Father, we pray in the name of the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated, everyone. We're so glad to see you here this morning. Uh, and the choir has been working on some special music. Looking forward to this particular day. And I hope that you're going to be blessed by it. But more than anything, we hope that God's going to be honored by it. That's our number one thing. We sing to the Lord. Uh, then we sing to you. <laughs> We sing for each other, uh, and we just worship the Lord as we do that. So I'm glad to see you here today. Uh, to get started, just like to tell you that the Apostle Paul, he recorded a, a hymn in the Bible, and it's found in 1 Timothy 3.16. And he introduces it with the statement, uh, Great is the mystery of godliness. To define the word mystery uh, we would say that it is a, a truth that was hidden by God but is now revealed and is made widely known. I like how the, the NIV expresses it. 
and it expresses it this way. It says, beyond all question, the mystery from which the true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by the angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on the world, and was taken up in glory. During this Christmas season, you know, as they all do, uh, the world is going to promise to promote a sort of a, a magical time of love and sharing and caring and serving one another. Now, these are, these are wonderful things in that, that we hope and we wish would come true, but the mystery that had truly been given to us is one that can be revealed by an amazing God who alone can work wondrous deeds that no man could possibly perform. So today we have a message for you. It's concerning this wondrous mystery and how God has revealed it to us. So now we present to you the wondrous mystery.
it is the hour that split history in half. Until that first Christmas, he had been, from eternity past, the divine son and the second person of the Godhead. He was God's glad agent in creation. And from the beginning of time, he had up, upheld the universe at every moment. But then came the great change, the great addition. The word became flesh. God became man. The creator himself came as a creature. The author entered into his own story. Without abandoning any of what it means to be fully divine, he also became fully man. It is a glorious revelation, and it's also a great mystery. This is the greatest mystery in all of history, how God himself became fully human without laying aside or ceasing to be fully divine, that God in all his godness united with man. And this union of God and man in Jesus is what makes possible our own union with the Godhead through him. But the greatest mystery is not how we are united to God by faith, but how God united himself to us and the one person of Jesus Christ.
Now we know that the prophecies concerning the Messiah were very difficult to understand, much more difficult for the prophets who prophesied them than even for us. And they were inspired by the Spirit of God to write what the Lord told them to write. Even at that, they could not understand what they were writing. And we hear Peter say this in 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The Old Testament presents the coming Messiah as a conqueror, and yet in other passages it presents him as a defeated enemy. In some Old Testament prophecies, he is seen as bringing joy to the world. In other Old Testament prophecies, he is seen as a man of sorrows. Sometimes he is seen as a conqueror, sometimes as the one who is rejected. Sometimes he is seen in great triumph and strength, and sometimes in abject weakness. He is the one to bring life, and yet in other prophecies, he is the one who will die. Some speak of him as king of glory, king of heaven and earth, eternal king, desire of all nations, and yet other prophecies say there will be nothing about him that men should desire him. He is to be the lion of the tribe of Judah, and yet he is a lamb led to slaughter. He is to be the judge of all the world. He is to come and judge sinners, burning them with unquenchable fire, and yet he is to be unjustly judged by sinners and executed as a criminal. All of these truths lie side by side in the Old Testament and caused the prophets to search to find out what time, what person could possibly fulfill all of these.
And when the time came for the mystery to be revealed, the mystery continued. Jesus, the God of all creation, the King of all glory, was born to a poor young virgin girl, not to a queen or a princess. His first breath as an infant was taken in a smelly stable surrounded by animals. His first bed was made of straw inside of a feeding trough, not in a clean palace surrounded by servants and caregivers. The announcement of his birth was made by angels from heaven to lowly shepherds, not to priests and kings. The mysterious happening surrounding the birth of the Messiah was confusing even to Mary, his mother, but she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And Joseph, who was naturally disturbed about what had transpired according to his wife-to-be, remained faithful to his Lord and accepted his responsibility to protect and care for his wife and the holy child, even through the most trying of circumstances. And what about the Magi? These astronomers from perhaps a thousand miles away were willing to travel any distance with an entourage large enough to disturb all of Jerusalem, including King Herod and the religious leaders. Their goal was to unravel the mystery of the birth of the King of the Jews and that strange moving star that led them to the place where Jesus was. How could they understand the significance of it all?
The significance of the events surrounding the mystery of the coming of Christ to this earth can be summed up in one phrase, the gospel of Christ. It is good news, the unfolding of God's plan for the redemption of all mankind was born that night in a stable. The eternal God came to earth in the form of a man. From the beginning of his creation, through the genealogies of both Mary and Joseph, God worked out his mystery to identify Jesus as the only one who could be offered up as the perfect Lamb of God and die on a cross of execution as a substitute for all sinners. Then after being buried for three days, he defeated all of Satan's schemes to undermine God's perfect plan to bring all people to himself. Jesus Christ defeated death and arose from the grave. And today, he lives. He has established his kingdom within the hearts of all who humbly come to him for salvation. And he has sanctified them with the power of the Holy Spirit. And those who believe in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And the mystery will be finally resolved when he comes for all who believe in him. The Bible promises that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord.
you guys can sing. <laughs> We're thankful for the talents that the Lord has given our choir. If you just close your eyes when they're singing, you think there's about 300 of them. Uh, we appreciate all of what they do for us and all the hard work that that is to get prepared. They spend a lot of time up here on Sundays and other days getting prepared to, um, to lead us, and we really, really appreciate uh, all that they do, don't we? All right. Um, was an 81-year-old man that was at the office of a tax assessor. The tax assessor asked the 81-year-old man, what are your possessions? The man looked at the tax assessor and he says, I have forgiveness. I have eternal life. I have a home in heaven. And the Son of God indwells me. To which the tax collector said, Again, I ask you, what are your possessions? And he said the same thing again. And after he said it for the third time, the tax Assessors said, what else is it that you have? And he said to him, nothing else matters. Well, as you get older, I guess thoughts like that run through your mind. If you've been listening to the choir, you know that they have been singing about mystery. When I think of mystery, I think of when I was a boy going to the library and getting the Hardy mystery books and um, my sister getting the Nancy Drew and that was my mind of mystery as I first thought about it. I thought, well, yeah, when I was a kid, I used to read mysteries and enjoyed doing that. There's a mystery that I want to talk about this morning that I've entitled um, Probably Not Thought of Enough. And it's a mystery that for those who are in Christ, um, it's not a mystery anymore in one sense. Because when you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that his spirit immediately indwelled you. I don't know how much we think about that, and I don't know, I prayed about what the Lord wanted me to share this morning. And um, there's not necessarily one central text, um, but there's a couple of texts that I'll be referring to that, that maybe will help you to think a little bit more about the fact that if you belong to the Lord Jesus, His Spirit indwells you. How much have you ever thought about that? The Spirit of the living God and dwells you. Well, Ron gave me the, the music that was going to be sung, and 
There's a lot of different subjects that you could talk about in relationship to mystery as it relates to Jesus Christ and the gospel. But I, I don't know, the Spirit just led me to talk about this particular mystery that was a mystery but was revealed. And for us who belong to the Lord Jesus, in a sense it's still a mystery to think about that the Spirit of the living God indwells you you belong to him. But I want to try to help us to think through some practical application of that at the end. And so I, I think it'll be better served if I give you some scripture to think through as it relates to the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Um, the word mystery um, here by definition is something that had at one time been hidden but now is revealed. It's interesting to me, uh, most theologians agree with this. You might find a few that say there are 28 occasions on which this term mystery appears in the New Testament. But the Greek word is mysterion, and it occurs 27 times in the New Testament. Does that mean anything to you when you hear that? 27 times? Or maybe I'm just a weird kind of guy. When I looked at that and I studied that, I was like, wow, 27 times. How many books are there in the New Testament? There's 27 books. So from Matthew through Revelation, the mystery of Jesus Christ is unveiled to us. From his birth all the way through until he comes again. That's pretty neat, isn't it? Adrian Rogers said this about the mystery of the indwelling Christ. He said, the best friend you have on this earth is the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I thought Jesus was my best friend. That's exactly right. The best friend you have on this earth is the Holy Spirit who is Christ in you. How many of you enjoyed listening to Adrian Rogers? The best preacher I've ever heard in my life. Bar none. Like to me, it was Adrian Rogers and the rest of the field. He could just preach the word of God. And he did such with, with such passion and, um, you know, just conviction. Uh, he just had a way about it. So when I read this, I thought, well, that's right. I mean, Jesus Christ indwells us. And we need to understand what that doctrine means for our life. It's interesting that this particular doctrine is first given um, in the Gospels to the disciples in the form of a promise. And if you have your Bibles, you could go to John 14. In John 14... The disciples are in the upper room with the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus had just told them that he was leaving them. And that where he was going, they couldn't come now, but they would come later. And you say, Dad, what's the big deal? Well, these disciples had been hanging out with the Lord for three years. A little more. 
And he's just told them, hey, look, I'm leaving. And where I'm going, you can't come now. Well, how would that hit you? If you spent all that time with the Lord Jesus, and he said to you, hey, well, you say, did it disrupt the disciples? Oh, yeah, it disrupted them for sure. In fact, the Bible tells us that Simon Peter had a reaction to this message, and we see that at the end of chapter 13. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. I'm not quite sure what that meant to Peter then, but I am quite certain after the Spirit of God showed up and, and dwelt them, Peter had to be thinking through the words of the Lord Jesus. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. You know, people give Peter a hard time about a lot of things. I think Peter just wanted to be with the Lord. I, I don't see anything else. He just wants to be with the Lord. Is that okay? I just want to be with you, Lord. Um, I'll do anything. And then Jesus tells him, hey, you're going to deny me three times. There's trouble in the heart of the camp. And the Lord knew that. He knew the message and how the disciples would respond to that. In chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to what? Myself. Why? Because heaven is about Christ. And where I am, there you may be also. Now you would think that the Lord might have started with, hey look, um, you're going to have a helper, and he's been with you, but he's going to be in you. It's interesting to me that after he says what he does to the disciples, that he begins with something future, long off. In other words, he begins with this beautiful picture of heaven and of these dwelling places that he was going to prepare. Well, if you skip down to verse 16, he really answers an immediate thought that... Um, probably was going through the mind of the disciples. After hearing that the Lord would leave them, the Lord Jesus, knowing their anxiety, said to them, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, in the Greek language, there are two words for another. One is another of a different kind, and one is another of the same kind. And so what Jesus says to them is very critical. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, another of the same kind, not different. 
In other words, you're not getting a different helper. He says that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. Look at this. Whom the world cannot receive. You want to know why the world's troubled and anxious and fretful all the time? They don't have the spirit. Whom the world cannot receive because it did not see him or know him. But you know him. And that word there is gnosko. You know him by experience. Because he abides with you. Well, who were the disciples abiding with? Jesus Christ. He says, you know him because he abides with you and will be what? In you. What happened in Acts chapter 2? We know that the Spirit of God began to indwell the hearts of men. Well, the Spirit of God dwelling in the hearts of men was a mystery. But there's even more to it when you come to the book of Colossians in chapter 1 and verses 26 and 27. All right, here it is. Colossians, there's a little bit more here to the mystery. Because the mystery pointed not only to the fact that the Spirit of God will indwell the Jew, but also who? The Gentile, the believing Gentile as well. Do you like that news? Do you like that news? Yes, you do. If you did not know how much, well, maybe today might help with that. The mystery, Paul says, which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been made manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among who? The Gentiles. Which is, what's this mystery? Christ where? In you. The hope. By the way, that article appears in the Greek. The hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now, how much have you thought about Christ in you? Wouldn't it be interesting to know if we were just sitting around in a circle, how often we've thought about Jesus Christ dwells in me. The Spirit of God lives in me. The hope of glory. And he is the hope of glory. One author wrote this about this mystery. He said, Christ living in us is one of the mysteries which is extremely important to know. When I read that, there were a lot of different quotes. I thought, that's just real basic. But that's real important. Christ living in us is one of the mysteries which is extremely important to know. So then I began to think through, why is it important for us to know that Christ indwells us, that the Spirit of God lives in us? Well, I want you to think about three things today. Maybe these will help you and help me as we live the Christian life. First of all, we have the power in us. You thought about that? You know, people say, I just need more power. i got to have more power. 
You know, if you, I have more power, I can get through this. Hello. If you're a believer, the power is in you so that no matter what circumstance you're going through, you have access to this what? Power. The power is in us. In fact, Paul talks about that power. First of all, he talks about it in the form of a prayer as he's praying for these believers in Ephesus. He says, I pray that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through what? His spirit in the inner man. And then he continues with that thought. Verses 20 and 21 now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Do you believe that? Do you believe that, choir? Yes. That he's able to do? We read the verse, nothing is impossible with God. Do we believe that? That's what the scriptures say. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think. According to the power, that article again occurs there, the power that works within us, which connects back to verse 16, this power is the Holy Spirit. We are not powerless. We have the Spirit of the living God in us. And he says, that power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we have the power in us. So the next time you're thinking about all of the things that are difficult that you're wrestling with in your life, whether it's a physical problem or an emotional problem, whatever the case may be, the power is in you to overcome. That's the truth. Well, we not only have the power in us, but we have the peace in us. You like peace? Peace. When you think about peace, you think about the 60s, right? We have the peace in us. Do you know that the Lord Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that issue of peace? I'll just read these verses. He says to them in that same upper room, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. My peace. The word is arene in the Greek. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Tell me about the world's peace. Do what? What did you say? It's sad. It's temporary. For sure. How does the world even offer peace? I mean, it's one of the, the biggest subjects on the news all the time. Well, we'd wish they had peace, and they had peace, and they had peace. And You know what? There's going to be peace when Christ comes to the earth. Did you know that? And he's going to rule and he's going to reign on the throne of David for 1,000 years. Peace. Well, 
he says to his disciples, I don't give it to you as the world. He says again, and this is in that same passage where he's already told them, don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You say, well, Thad, I mean, these guys were the disciples, man. They were, they were the 11. They were the guys. They surely did not have anxiety. Yeah, they did. They're human. You have anxiety? There are things that make you, make you anxious or cause you unrest? Well, sure. If you live life long enough, you know that happens. It may be a physical issue that you're going through. It may be having teenagers that brings unrest or little children that bring unrest or just watching the news and it brings unrest. The Lord Jesus promised to his disciples something, listen to this, something that only he could give them. Okay? So if we're looking for peace in the world, it's not there. Well, Paul writes about this very same thing. He says this to the Philippian believers, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's just natural. That's something we should do. Okay? Well, if we do verse 6, then verse 7 applies. But we need to do verse 6. We need to let our requests be made known to God. Notice what Paul tells these Philippian believers. When you do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension or understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have the peace in us. That phrase, um, shall keep or shall guard, is a picture of a Roman garrison of soldiers which typically was about five to 6,000. Well, Albert Barnes wrote this about that particular phrase, shall keep, because he thought, oh, that's important for believers to understand this, and he wrote, the phrase shall keep or shall guard is a military term and pictures a camp being guarded. It pictures a camp, a place of importance being guarded. Well, in this particular context, Paul says, look, your hearts and your minds are guarded in Christ Jesus when you do verse 6. But you have to do verse 6. That's a conditional statement. You have to let your request be made known to God. And this is the picture that comes to my mind. In other words, I have to dump all of it on him. I have to give it to him. And then I can have the peace, which he describes as surpassing all understanding. So we have the peace in us. All right? Third, and lastly, well, can you admit? Yeah, thank you. We have the promise in us. Okay? We have the promise in us. Say the promise of what? We have the promise of eternal life, and we have the promise of an inheritance. In Ephesians chapter 1, he talks about this sealing of the Spirit. He says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him. Okay? That seal, permanence. That's the picture. In him with the Holy Spirit of what? Promise. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. <laughs> the Spirit of God in you is a big deal. Right? Christ in you is a big deal. If you belong to him, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise and you have an inheritance. Now that seal is a permanent seal. So when you came to Christ, there is nothing in this world or in this life that can remove that seal. Do you understand that? Nothing. All right? Satan cannot remove that seal. No man can remove that seal. Your sin that you continue to commit because you have this flesh can't remove that seal. So the next time you think, well, I wonder if a person, when they're saved, when they're in Christ, are they always saved? The answer is yes. You know, when I was about 20, 21 years old, I was thinking about my salvation. I remember we lived on Cliff Road on Southside. I was attending Southeastern Bible College. And I was sitting in the house one day, and I was just going through some things with school and wrestling through some things that I'd been learning in class and I began to kind of think about my salvation, my point of salvation. When did I come to Christ? And I mean, how secure was I in that, right? It was all about what I was thinking. So I contacted the man that led me to Christ. And I said, Phil, can you do something for me? Can you just write me a letter as to what happened? Well, he wrote me about six, seven-page letter and shared with me about the opportunity that he had to lead me to Christ. Now, when I read that, I thought, well, I could put my confidence in the letter, and that would be wrong. Or I could put my confidence in Phil, that would be wrong. But you know what he did in that letter? He pointed to these very same verses that we're discussing this morning. He said that the confidence that you need is in Christ and what happened to you at salvation. So you may be sitting here this morning going, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Well, you know what? The Bible says here that when you believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. But there's also this inheritance piece, and I wanted to just briefly point you to that. That's why I have it at the top. Look at this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a what hope a living hope a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled it's not stained it's clean. 
and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for who? You. Who's you? Those who are born again. Those who know the Lord Jesus. Reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know what? We're going to be saved from the presence of sin into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you like that thought? That's why I wrote, look at this. Reserved in heaven for you. You ever shown up at a place you had a reservation only to find out it was gone? It magically disappeared. Have you ever walked into a hotel lobby and said, Hey, I have a reservation for tonight. My name is so-and-so. And they're looking through it. I don't see your name, Mr. Blunt. Okay, but like, what is your address? And they give me that. Well, this is the exact address I have. In fact, I can even show you on a piece of paper my reservation. You're not in there, Mr. Blunt. You don't have a room. You know what? On earth, our reservation might be stomped out. But in heaven, ain't going to happen. Hey, if your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, guess where it is? It's in the Lamb's Book of Life. And no one can remove that. You have a place in heaven. And you're protected, it says here, by the power of God. Well, I think those three things are worth thinking about. And maybe you haven't thought about those, but I would encourage you to do that, that one of the great mysteries revealed is that we have the Lord in us. Listen to this story. A man died who was extremely wealthy. His will was full of art pieces, very expensive art pieces. This man had a son who had died before him. A son whom he loved, and this son would have been his only heir. Soon after the death of the wealthy man, a public auction was held that included the valuable art pieces. People came from all over the world because of those works of art. Over a thousand people gathered to participate in the auction. The auctioneer began the auction by offering up for sale a portrait painted by the deceased son. It was a rather plain painting, not at all like the other expensive art pieces. The floor opened for bids, but there weren't any. After what seemed like a long silence, a little old man walked down the aisle. As he neared the front of the room, the auctioneer recognized him, he had been the servant of the wealthy man. He meagerly and almost shamefully offered a couple of dollars from his pocket for the child-drawn portrait. The auctioneer hit his gavel and said, Sold! And the many people in the room shifted with excitement, preparing for the main part of the selling to begin. But much to their surprise and chagrin, the auctioneer hit the gavel again and said, Auction over. The room filled with loud chatter and confusion. 
wondering at the early close of the auction. The auctioneer went on to explain, in the will of the master, the instruction specifically said to offer for sale the painting drawn by his son first. And that whoever gets the painting of his son gets the whole art collection. The master had decided well in advance that whoever loved his son and accepted him could not only have his son's work, but all the other benefits that belonged to the father. Doesn't that sound good? We get Jesus Christ and everything we've been promised that belongs to him. I trust today that you know the Lord and that you're able to say without a shadow of a doubt you belong to him. And if you're able to say that, you can walk out of this building, out of those doors saying, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord lives in me. Let's pray uh, together. Father, thank you so much for all the many blessings that we have in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the privilege of being able to be called a son, to be called a child of God, to have an inheritance that is really past our understanding. We look forward to the day that we are in your presence, face to face, with our Savior Jesus Christ in all of his glory. I pray this morning that what would come out of this short message would be an understanding that the mystery that's been revealed, Jesus Christ, if we belong to him, he lives in us. The power is in us. The peace is in us. The promise is in us. Help us, Father, by your Spirit to hold on to these truths as we walk in this world that is so ungodly and apart from you. I pray that as we close the service this morning that you will help us to think through all the many blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let me just mention before the choir closes with a song, that you will be dismissed after they finish the song. So you do not have to wait for me to walk back up here or even wait for me to stand up from my seat because usually this is what happens. When I say this, eyes go over here. What's that doing? I'm going to stand up and I'm going to leave. Okay? So I hope that you guys have enjoyed today and that you have enjoyed all that the choir has put into. to... Uh, our time of worship. So, Ron?